Welcome to another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. And if this is your first time listening, we want to welcome you to the Kelly family. Our show's mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. And we do this through our weekly podcast that leaves you with practical tips you can apply to your leadership instantly. And for those of you who've shared our shows with friends, family, coworkers, we just want to say a huge thank you because of you, our show has grown exponentially this past year, and we're just so honored you find our content valuable. And if you're a leader who is wrestling with a tough decision, if you'd like to explore a specific topic, or you just simply know someone who's going to make a great guest for our show, shoot us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. Well, on this episode, we are sitting down with two of our incredible faculty members, Todd and Kim Saxton. Um, not only this dynamic duo helping leading the charge at Kelly and teaching and leading this next generation of business leaders, but they actually just released a book called The Titanic Effect, Successfully Navigating the Uncertainties That Sink Most Startups. So welcome, you guys, to the ROI Podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Glad to be here. So let's start on this journey. Take us inside this book. What can readers expect from this new Titanic effect? Well, hopefully a good read, first of all, and something that is entertaining, but, but most importantly, kind of educational and informative uh, to kind of open eyes about the entrepreneurial journey. And this is primarily for early stage startups, uh, which means the founders, the, the entrepreneurs who start those companies, uh, but also the people who support them. That might be investors, that might be members of the venture community, uh, and folks like ourselves who find ourselves in the position of uh, working with, helping these early stage entrepreneurs, whether they're students, alumni, members of the venture community, uh, to kind of have a little bit more of a robust tool to understand what are some of the pitfalls to avoid as a founder and some of the missteps that, that entrepreneurs make that system seem to lead to either limiting their success or even sinking their ships. Talk us through the thesis. I mean, who's going to get the most benefit out of this book? Are we just talking just brand new entrepreneurs for the first time? Are we talking, I mean, who's, who's going to get a lot of great resources from this book? Again, I think there's a fairly diverse set of segments, but primarily it is that first time or, or even multiple entrepreneur who's relatively early in their journey. So uh, not scaling, meaning not growing rapidly, probably not at the stage where they've taken institutional investment, whether that's angel investing uh, or VC dollars, uh, but are either in the kind of ideation phase thinking about uh, what it is that they want to launch and, and grow and trying to find product market fit, uh, or they've launched, have some early revenue and are starting to grow, starting to hire employees, uh, starting to look for outside investment. And that's kind of really the, the focal point that we think the tools and, and the book uh, will be most helpful. But the most common feedback we hear after we do a talk, and we've done maybe four or five of them now, and, and we hear this also from serial entrepreneurs who've read the book. They go, where were you when? Because we are sharing things that, that when they hear them being said objectively by someone looking out, it was like, wow, I should have known that, but I didn't. And that caused me a problem. So we're trying to save people from problems that naturally pop up. Um, we had been working with uh, startups as advisors and founders and investors for 20 years. And what we started seeing is some very common patterns of choices. And it's so hard when you have a choice. You could do 
20 different things. Which way do you go? Well, turns out what we noticed is that when you made certain choices, you kind of ended up pushing yourselves into a corner. And so what we tried to do is say, hey, steer away from these corners back up to some choices that maybe aren't as constrained in the future. And so it's interesting for a lot of people, you know, professors are obviously there to teach and to empower the next generation. But for a lot of professors too, have to do a lot of research or academic papers. And I'm sure you guys have to do your fair share of your own research, but you guys decided to write a book. So talk about why, like, what was that moment like when you decided, you know what, okay, we got to get some resources to startups and brand new entrepreneurs. So we've done a lot of that publishing and it takes time. In some cases, it might take eight to 12 years to actually influence practice. So uh, for those of you that are not familiar with the academic research process, to really do a good job with building the kind of research that we tend to do, it can take three to five years to have a database that's worth publishing from and another couple of years to get it through the review and publishing process. By the time it's printed, and then other faculty members uh, of other institutions across the country are reading them in those research journals, and then hopefully starting to filter that into their teaching, it can be, again, you know, 10 to 12 years after you kind of started the process. And we've done a lot of that kind of work. Um, but our research, and, and then that led to increasing interaction with the venture community, uh, this seemed to be a much more direct path to influence practice, uh, but but very much grounded in research. The research we've done, but also the research that our, our very capable colleagues, uh, not only at Kelly, but across the country and in other parts of the world have done on Notions like uncertainty, for example. So a, a big factor in the thesis behind the book and kind of the theory underlying it and the science underlining it uh, is that entrepreneurship is not really about risk. It's actually about uncertainty. And those two constructs, uh, the science suggests, are very different in terms of how your brain kind of processes one versus the other. Risk is probabilistic, like rolling dice or playing games of cards, whereas uncertainty is much more uncertain. You don't know the range of outcomes, the distribution of outcomes, uh, and it's, uh, again, a different part of your brain that kind of fires when you're dealing with that. Well, the essential task of the entrepreneur is systematically navigating that uncertainty. So having some understanding of... Um, the fact that when you make those decisions under uncertainty where you don't have information, that creates unintended consequences. We've kind of uh, visualized and had those unintended consequences manifest as hidden debts in the book, The Titanic Effect, which kind of led to the idea of icebergs. There's a lot below the surface uh, that you don't really see when you make these decisions. But if entrepreneurs and their supporters could be more aware of these unintended consequences, they'd actually do a better job navigating through these iceberg-laden waters of uncertainty that are characteristic of the entrepreneurial environment. It's also important to recognize that um, the book did come out of practical work we were doing. So we had done some talks at some large entrepreneurship gatherings um, with diverse audiences, and we were taking academic ideas and a practical idea. So it started with the concept in software of technical debt, which was pretty well known. We said, wait a minute, there are equivalents of technical debt in your marketing choices and in your human choices, whether that's investors or employees. So we put together this talk, and then we said, we need a unifying theme. And so um, Todd visualized that these hidden debts were like icebergs lurking under the surface. 
So we actually did what academics do. We went and did some research on the Titanic and said, wonder if some of these same issues occurred back in 1912. And so we're seeing patterns repeated over time still. And lo and behold, as we did all this research, I mean, we don't all know exactly what happened in 1912, but there are histories written and there are analysis of, you know, why did the Titanic sink? And it turns out it, it was the iceberg that struck it, but there were multiplicative interactions across other decisions that caused it to be the disaster that it was. I mean, you could have hit the iceberg and not sunk, but unfortunately their choices led them to sinking. And so we kind of untangled that. So then we gave this talk using this as a theme and somebody in the audience, a very well-known serial entrepreneur and investor came up and said, that's a book people need to read. And so we sort of switched gears and said, oh, wait, this is a great way to take our academic background, our practical experience, and provide guidance, educate, but on a different scale than the kind of one-to-one or 30-to-one that we do at the university setting. And I want to go to something you said earlier. You guys got to kind of watch and observe from an academic standpoint, which is interesting because, you know, for you didn't have like the front seat, like your your decisions weren't costing your dollars. You know, your what you guys were doing didn't have any financial backlash on you. However, you got to sit in the back seat of other entrepreneurs' journey and actually watch, you know, some mistakes play out and just kind of observe, you know, talk about how important that was then if you were to be, you know, an entrepreneur and actually making some of those mistakes and some of the things you were able to glean from that. Well, unfortunately, in some ways, uh, we learned some hard lessons ourselves through our direct journey as well. So a lot of our exposure came, as you suggest, from, you know, kind of observing other entrepreneurs or or students and members of the venture community. Um, But increasingly, over the last 10 years, we've helped start a few companies. Um, We are active angel investors, so we've put money into these companies uh, and and seen these patterns uh, and and had the opportunity to, to get up. Uh, really pretty close and personal, not just watching, but but participating in this. And I, I think it was those experiences that really led us to say, there's something missing here for the entrepreneur, for the supporter of the startup in, in terms of the literature that's out there, whether it's research-based or uh, at the time, even most of the you know, kind of practical uh, press that, that was coming out and the, the practitioner books that were coming out uh, were grounded in maybe one or two experiences were kind of romanticizing or glorifying the entrepreneurial journey, making founders out as kind of the new rock stars, which is great, and it creates a lot of enthusiasm for entrepreneurship, um, but, but the models that they were kind of laying out, one, were not grounded in research, but, but two, were leading to these missteps that were systematically actually increasing the likelihood that an entrepreneur would not be successful. Um, so there's some very powerful things about, for example, the lean startup and the model of kind of getting out there, getting market experience and pivoting when you run into uh, points of, of difficulty or, or customer challenges. Uh, the, ch- the problem is that every time you pivot, you're also creating some of these hidden debts that we identify. So kind of trying to complement some of the existing frameworks that are out there that focus on the what to do and how to start a venture, how to build a business model canvas uh, and build enthusiasm around that there needed to be a complimentary piece that also says, oh, and by the way, here are some things to not do. Here are some things to avoid, and here are some things that can can help you keep your journey on track or, or at least afloat. 
And there's a good bit of practical research going on in this area too. And we were able to dig into some of that using our academic grounding. So there are organizations like CB Insights and PitchBook who are monitoring startups, who starts, who's getting money, when do they fail? And they periodically will assess like what are the causes for failure. So we were able to leverage some of those insights across, you know, several hundred, almost a thousand firms. And then we actually dug through startup graveyards and startup autopsies. So a lot of startups, after they fail, they share back with everybody, here's what we did. So we looked for patterns there and examples, and we've embedded those in the book. And, and to be fair, the first couple of people who read the book were like, um, are you aware that startups succeed? <laughs> we have some really good examples of companies that did it. How about if you get some examples of what works, not just what fails, but what works. And so we dug into the how I built this podcast and we have built five origin stories into the book from that series and highlight across different icebergs, how did they navigate around this as a best practice? So instead of taking, you know, an N of one or two or three, we tried to look as broadly across a spectrum of startup experiences and summarize those. I want to get into the book a little bit, you know, and start talking about some of the content that's available. And, you know, through your journey and research and as you've been kind of putting this together, what's been some of the biggest mistakes? You've seen a lot of these uh, startups who have failed or startups that have ended up, as you just said, in the startup graveyard. You know, what were some of the big points that kind of led them there? Uh, one of my favorite examples is a visible example that, that did survive but had a, a giant iceberg to contend with. Uh, and I, I think you might appreciate this story. Uh, Gary Erickson, who founded Cliff Bar uh, back in the 1990s, prior to that had started uh, kind of a Greek pastry uh, deli offering and uh, was a family kind of uh, a business named actually after his grandmother. And after several years, that was getting some correction, but it, but it really didn't capture his heart. He brought on a partner to help kind of manage fi the financial side of things and then continue to run that business. Uh, and he went on after a long biking uh, excursion where he was getting through his, uh, you know, kind of fourth or fifth uh, bar that tasted like sawdust and said, you know, there's really got to be a better option. So he used some of his prior experience to launch Cliff Bar. Uh, and you fast forward, you know, five, seven years later, we were really getting traction and starting to expand. Um, and he got to the point where he had an opportunity to exit. A large consumer packaged foods company wanted to come in, buy Cliff Bar, made a quite generous offer of $120 million at the time. Uh, Cliff Bar was having sales of roughly 40, 45 million at that time. So uh, that's a, you know, a pretty attractive exit possibility. Well, kind of rewind a little bit to the formation of Cliff Bar and the relationship with uh, this other organization that he had started. He brought on that financial partner, gave her 50% equity to help manage and run. She continued to run the other piece of, of business. Well, once this offer came in, she was entitled to 50% of the proceeds. Uh, they had never legally disentangled, so he brought on a co-founder, allocated equity. Uh, that ended up uh, subsequently uh, kind of leading to this $60 million iceberg that he had to deal with, 
when he chose to pull out of the deal and not sell because she still wanted her piece and legally deserved it and uh, in, in other ways. Uh, and, and that's one of those patterns that we see in the startup world is that when founders kind of bring on co-founders, when they start to make choices about how to allocate equity, uh, they, they create these potentially giant icebergs. $60 million is quite a few uh, cliff bars to have to sell to pay off. And it took him nine years to kind of clear out that debt. Uh, but he was able to, and, and Cliff Bar has uh, been a great organization and hopefully something that you know. If not, go out and get your Cliff Bar today. Uh, so just uh, one example that, that's one of my favorite that we, we highlight in the book uh, as the, the, again, some of the missteps and, and uh, he never really intended to have that, that consequence, uh, didn't have the crystal ball to see down the road. Uh, but things you can do when you bring on co-founders, when you start allocating equity in terms of vesting uh, and being careful and, and uh, intentional about how you uh, divvy up that equity is a really important thing for founders to think about, and particularly first-time founders rarely do. One that we talk about in the marketing ocean, so we've divided the book into human ocean, marketing ocean, technical ocean, and the strategy ocean to sort of give some context to the challenges that we see out there. Um, it is so hard as a startup because if you want to seek funding, you want to have a large total addressable market so that investors can see the possibility of payback. But as a startup, you can't really tackle a large total addressable market. And so you have to be focused. You have to pick a segment or a niche that you're totally focused on and that you want to maximize your penetration of. But that means picking. That means taking a stand, making a choice. And many startups start out with, oh, so many customers will love this product. It's perfect for everyone. Well, that might be true, but you can't reach everyone. So who is it actually the most perfect for? Pick one place, dominate it, and move forward from there. Some of the big influencers that have kind of helped you guys along this journey, who were some of the, you know, the people that have kind of offered a lot of great wisdom in this journey? And who are some of the companies that you got to make sure you guys want to highlight? Yeah, thanks for that opportunity. And and again, a lot of this, uh, our insight has come from our students, working with them through the years and seeing their journeys, uh, but also al alumni and others. Uh, a couple that, that I'd like to call out first uh, would be Mike Hatfield, uh, who is an alum of our evening MBA program, a serial tech entrepreneur, mostly in telecommunication space, but he was one of the first people to give us feedback and, and redirect us a little bit in terms of our narrative. Um, a, a side note, but something maybe we can come back to. It's interesting that writing a book and, and all of the things that go along with it is really a lot like starting a venture, right? You have to uh, go out and identify kind of product market fit. Who are we really trying to help and what is the best way to kind of package that so they, they receive that message and, and can act on it? Uh, and, and Mike Hatfield was certainly uh, very influential in, in, in helping us direct. And as a very successful serial entrepreneur himself, he had a lot of good insight. Uh, clearly, the, the, the author team includes some different perspectives. Uh, and that was certainly something to build on uh, coming out of management and strategy myself and the entrepreneurship domain, Kim's experience in marketing, and then our co-author, Michael Cloran, uh, who is a serial tech entrepreneur himself. Uh, that, that was very helpful in generating uh, a lot of good ideas and things to then go out and kind of vet, if you will, uh, with the market uh, Kim mentioned uh, one of the members of the venture community who initially encouraged us to write the book, and that's Oscar Morales of Vision Tech Angels. Um, 
that organization and Ben Pigeon, who's another alum of ours, uh, have been very helpful in terms of not just providing feedback on the book, but but kind of giving access and including them uh, or including us in, in their journey, uh, which has given a lot of insight through the investor perspective as to how to think about these concepts and, and communicate them. And we'd be remiss without thanking the startup ladies. Um, so uh, that's a group that's focused around helping uh, women and minorities uh, launch new businesses. And, and they were one of the first groups that did a workshop with us where we could put these ideas out, let them try them on, and they could tell us what fit and what diff- didn't fit. And can, they continue to be a, a great supporters in terms of um, we did a Kickstarter, and quite a few of them were involved in that. Um, they've uh, identified some speaking opportunities for us to share this message with others, and um, so uh, constant advocates. So that's been really great. Yeah, and again, we we should mention uh, some other great community organizations like Powder Keg, uh, the Venture Club of Indiana, where we've been very involved, and and also have given us a lot of opportunity to to reach out and and uh, speak with you know, kind of real entrepreneurs in the wild, if you will. And so for a lot of those that are listening to our audience, you, you guys have some events that are going to be coming up, obviously some book signings and some other events. You know, what where can people go or what can people do to get on these events? Yeah, so with the book coming out on June 11th, on June 12th, we are having a big book launch uh, party at Developer Town. Um, we're going, it's kind of done in a Titanic theme with uh, food from the last day that they sailed, as well as um, we're going to have some stories from entrepreneurs, share sort of an overview of the book and, and let entrepreneurs tell others about the icebergs they encountered and whether those were icebergs that crashed them or those were icebergs they were able to figure out how to navigate around. So that'll be pretty fun. Uh, July 12th, I think we have a uh, chat with the Indiana Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. Um, in August, we're going to be out at the MD MBA um, conference. Also in uh, September, we're going to be part of the Greater Lafayette um, Entrepreneurship Week uh, with a, a workshop at Matchbox there. So um, the list is growing. We're working on the fall still, but these are probably the, the earliest uh opportunities we have and but you can always visit our website at www.titanicaffect.com to learn more we will try and keep events updated uh in terms of where we might be sharing different pieces and it's interesting to kind of think about this material and tailoring it to the groups kim mentioned society of physician entrepreneurs we had the chance uh, a couple weeks ago to uh, do a workshop session with uh, the national chapter based in washington dc uh, it's a mostly life science kind of focused community and some of those icebergs are a little bit different so kind of starting to understand that um, i'd like to step a little away from the book per se though and, and talk about kind of where we think the most power uh, in, in terms of influence and in helping the entrepreneurial ecosystem be more productive are, are the other things that we've created kind of around the book. So uh, we're, we're working on something we call the Iceberg Index that is kind of an online tool that a, a startup can go and kind of assess where we're vulnerable and then continue to build metrics around that. That will also lead to creating a community of founders, investors, and, and other supporters who are learning from and, and helping each other uh, and kind of building that that virtual community around some common ideas that are, are linked to the book, certainly in that core content, uh, but then can be 
uh, kind of operationalized in a lot of different ways. Um, we've been talking to the folks who do the How I Built This Summit about how to incorporate some of those concepts with their community. Uh, so building this beyond kind of the book into uh, really an, a, a tool for engagement will, will help us in our research, will help us in our teaching, uh, but I think most importantly, help the founders and startups out there connect with each other, learn from each other, and uh, use these concepts uh, more effectively. Again, that book is called The Titanic Effect, Successfully Navigating the Uncertainties that Sink Most Startups. And if you want to get your hands on a digital copy, that is right now currently available on Amazon and other places where you want to get eBooks. Um, but if you want the hard copy, that again, that's going to be June 11th when it's going to hit the store shelves. And you can go to titanicaffect.com. We actually have a special link just for our guests and our audience members. That is if you put backslash Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y. Again, titanicaffect.com backslash Kelly with an E. Again, June 11th, don't miss your copy of this book. Todd and Kim, we just want to say thank you guys so much for being our guests on the ROI podcast. Our pleasure. And we are very much support and and hope that uh, making better business decisions comes from the ROI podcast overall and and certainly some of the things we're working on. At least you should make better startup decisions with these tools. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.